Hey, well, hello, everybody. Hey, my name is Dell. I'm one of the pastors here at King's Church, and I'm excited to jump into the Word with you today. Thanks so much for coming out on a beautiful summer day. If you're watching online, wherever you're at, it's summer in New Brunswick. It's here, guys. It's finally, it's here. It came. Woo! I don't know where it'll be next week, but now it's here. I love it. I think I almost got a tan the other day, so that was great. Uh, and I got about 5,000 mosquito bites. You all do too. I know you do. Uh, but I'm excited to share with you today a little bit about uh, Mark chapter 4. I want you to open up your Bibles if you have it to Mark chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like one for free, we just want to give you one. Uh, you can just raise your hand. One of our red shirts will quick grab a Bible and they'll, they'll find you if you want it. But put your thumb, your fin whatever finger you want in Mark chapter 4. Uh, and we're going to get into there today. Now listen, this past weekend... I was uh, at home with my family, and I was sitting on the couch right after supper, and I was flipping through the channels. And I start flipping, and I wish, I'm just going to write off the bad disclaimer, I wish this was a cooler story than it is. I wish that I was watching something more, like, exciting or whatever. But I was flipping all through, and, and nothing was really doing it for me. And then I happened upon Channel 50, if you're a Rogers customer, the History Channel of all, yes, there we, you can know this is, this is downhill from here. Uh, and so I'm watching the History Channel, uh, and it catches my eye that there's an evil Knievel uh, kind of uh, showdown, an evil Knievel kind of uh, thing that they want to do to honor evil Knievel. I'm not sure if you know who evil Knievel is. I said his name about 100 times just there. Uh, evil Knievel was a stuntman in the 1970s or so in the United States, and he went all around the world. And evil Knievel, first of all, that's a cool name. That's a really cool, if you're named Evil Knievel, it wasn't his real name, but like you better do something really neat. And so Evil Knievel would get on a motorcycle and he would attempt, and I think the thing that everyone loved was he would attempt to jump over things you shouldn't be jumping over, right? You should just try and do, I think the very first stunt he ever performed was he jumped over a thing of mountain lions and snakes. Like that was what he did and his career got started from there. And so I'm flipping through, I see the History Channel, Evil Knievel tribute show, some other guy is going to try and do some of the stunts that Evil Knievel tried but failed. Like so the dude tried, bit it hard, like all out of it, this guy's now going to try and I get to watch it from my couch in my living room, right? So I'm excited about this. I have my four-year-old daughter sitting next to me. She's kind of watching with me too. My son's in the other room and I shout, Owen, he's six years old. I say, Owen, come on, this guy's gonna try and jump over like 16 buses. And my son not knowing the lameness that his dad has just called him to, right? He doesn't know that's not cool yet, and I love that, right? He's like, awesome, let's check it out. How many buses? 16 buses? You can't jump 16 buses. My son Owen comes in. He's sitting next to me, and I'm starting to explain who this evil Knievel is. He's a stuntman and all this, and he tried, but he crashed a whole lot, and then Owen wants to see him crash. So I look up on my phone, videos of him crashing, and as I'm showing uh, videos of this man crashing to my six-year-old, uh, my six-year-old's eyes are just kind of getting wider and wider and wider, and he's not thinking this is as neat and cool anymore as I think it is, right? And he's got all these questions. Well, how many bones did he break? Is he still alive? Did it kill him? Is he dead? What's going on? All this kind of stuff. Oh, no, 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 it's good. This is what he couldn't do. Now watch the TV. This guy's going to try it, right? And Owen's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. He's going to die. I'm out. Let me know if he lives. Owen runs to the other room. My four-year-old girl is staring at the TV. Just, just ready for it. Like I looked at her, she's like four years old and cute and all this, and she is bloodthirsty. She wants it. I was, <laughs> Avery, you're freaking me out. 
Uh, and so he's about to go, and Owen yells from the other room, tell me if he lives, okay? So the guy makes the jump, 16 buses, all lined up. Dude hits the jump, makes it across. Avery and I are cheering, and Owen from the other room yells, did he die? I was like, no, he didn't die. He lived, he lived, he lived. And Owen comes running out of the room, shouting and screaming. We high-five. It's an amazing moment. And then I have to rewind it now so my son can actually watch. Now that he knows it's safe, we can actually watch it. We just enjoy to see there's something in us, though, isn't there? That loves seeing someone do something no one else can do. We love watching someone try to do what we think is impossible, don't we? It doesn't matter what it is. It could be a guy jumping things on a motorcycle, a team winning a championship, someone making an amazing shot. You know what it's like. We love seeing someone go beyond what we could do ourselves, don't we? We all gather around it. We all want to see. We all want to make sure that we know and we've been there and we could tell the moment when we saw someone do something that we couldn't do ourselves. And here in the book of Mark, chapter 4 and 5, We see Jesus do just this. We see Jesus go beyond what anyone else is capable of doing. There's a story here I want to read to you that just shows so clearly why and how Jesus is way further, way more, way more capable, way more able, way more interested in doing something more than anybody else has ever done in their lives. I'm going to pick it up in Mark chapter 4. Verse 35, you can follow along with me if you'd like. Jesus is doing um, a whole lot of ministry. He was healing people. He's calling his disciples. He's kind of at the front end of his ministry here in Mark chapter 4. And in Mark chapter 4, after a time of ministry, Jesus says uh, in verse 35, it says, As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. He's doing all his ministry on this one place. He says, okay, it's, it's getting late. Everyone's around me. Everyone's crowded around me. I just need some space. Let's go to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat, and they started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon, a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Some of you know this story. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on the cushion. The disciples woke him, shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke, he rebuked the wind and said to the water, Silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. And then he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the disciples were terrified. Who is this man, they asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus finishes a time of ministry, gets in a boat to go to the other side of the lake. On his way over to the other side of the lake, this like death-defying, life-threatening, gale-force storm comes. Jesus calms it. And in verse uh, 1 of chapter 5, it says, So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. All you need to know about this, it's an area uh, people call the Decapolis. It's, it's ten cities, a group of ten cities that don't know who God is, have no interest in following God. They're following a whole lot of other gods. They don't have any framework or reference for who Jesus is. But Jesus shows up on the shore there. It says, when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from a cemetery to meet him. What? Have you ever had that happen? No. Me either. I don't want that to happen. No. Verse 3, this man lived among the burial caves, and he could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, 
He snapped the chains from his wrist and he smashed the shackles. This guy's like freaking out. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, night and day, day and night, all day long, all night long, this guy wandered among the burial caves in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. This dude is messed up. Wrong shore, Jesus. You should have just let the wind blow you a little further before you tried to calm that one down, right? When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. And with a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, What's your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. The word Legion is a Roman word. It means about 6,000 soldiers. Now, whether that's how many we're in or not, the point is this dude has a lot of bad stuff going on inside of him. And then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some other distant place. Now, there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. And so Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man. They entered the pigs. And the entire herd of 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. What in the world is going on? Death-defying storm. Everyone's about to die. Come to the shore. As soon as you get on the shore, some crazy guy accosts you, like comes at you, freaking out. The demons don't want to be around Jesus. Jesus says, go into those pigs. They go in the pigs. The pigs freak out. 2,000 pigs right into the water. All of them drown. The place is nuts. What is going on in this place? The herdsmen agreed with me in verse 14. And they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. So people rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. I love it that they're afraid of the guy now. Like, you didn't see him before when he was hulking out and freaking out and cutting himself? Like, now you're afraid? Then those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away, leave him alone. They don't want anything to do with Jesus now. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, but Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he's been. And so the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. Now, why is this story in the Bible? Because the way I see it, Jesus is doing this whole season of ministry. And out of the middle of nowhere, one night, Jesus says, let's go to the other side of the lake. Jesus gets in the boat goes across, huge storm, almost everybody is afraid they're going to die, they don't know what's going to happen, gets on the shore. I don't know how many feet he walked in, but it couldn't have been far, a couple of yards, a couple hundred yards maybe, on the other side of the shore. Jesus has this interaction with this man, one guy, that's it, not everybody else, one man in interaction with him, casts demons out of him, freaks everyone out, gets in his boat, and goes back home. Doesn't ever go back. 
Why? Why in the middle of everything is Jesus just saying, hey, everybody, hold up. I've got to go do this thing for this one guy. I'll be right back. It's because Jesus wants to show you just how far above and beyond he would go for you. Just how far and above and beyond he is capable of doing things that you and I could never do in a million years. How does Jesus go further than everybody else? I want to encourage you today. I just want to let you know the Jesus that we serve can go far beyond anything you could do, I could do, anybody could do. What are the things that Jesus can do that no one else can do? The first one is this. Jesus can see what nobody else can see. Jesus has a way of seeing things that nobody else does. In the middle of all this ministry, and it was great. Jesus is just becoming like famous in his town. He's a real somebody. Everyone is flocking around him. People are all over him. He, he's pushed to the seashore plenty of times because there's just too many people around him. He gets in a boat so that he could be away from people to teach the hundreds and thousands of people that are around him. Every day, the same thing. He's healing people, healing sickness, healing injuries, healing all of these things. Jesus is a busy guy. If it was any of us in that situation, we'd have every right to just have our head down and be at work and be amazing and do the things that we're called to do in our little spot and all of that. But Jesus, in the middle of everything, with every reason to be distracted, says there's a guy on the other side of the lake I got to see right now. No one else saw him. No one else could see that guy. Have you ever been in a situation where, like, someone saw you and they had no business seeing you and it was, like, an amazing experience? Have you ever been somewhere and, like, out of a crowd, I'm not going to do it right now, so don't worry about it, but, like, you got called up on stage and there's just, like, this person is amazing and the whole crowd just wonders, well, how come they saw that person, right? I had an experience kind of like that. When I was a little bit younger, maybe about 32 years old or so, I went to my very first uh, NHL hockey game. I'm not sure if you've ever been to a hockey game or not. Uh, but I went to Washington, D.C. with my brother, and I saw the Caps play the Vancouver Canucks, who's my favorite team. Uh, and it was amazing. My very first hockey, hockey game. Uh, and if you've ever been to one, like for me, the coolest part is like before the game even starts going down by the glass and watching these guys warm up and do the, like, these guys are incredible. Like, if you think it's fast, like, if you get down next to them, first of all, they're all, like, 800 feet tall, and they're all jacked, right? Like, it's crazy. And they're all, ex like, they are so strong. They're so fast. They're so good. Even the worst person on the team is way better than I'll ever be in my life at any of this. And so I'm standing there at the glass, boom, and I think they're just messing with me because, like, they're just shooting puck after puck right off the glass right in front of me. I'm just doing this for a half hour. It was amazing. I'm going there, and in the middle of all of it, there's hundreds of people, thousands of people there. All of a sudden, Daniel Sedin, if you know who Daniel Sedin is, well, he was still alive, but he, he was the captain of the Canucks. Daniel Sedin, out of the middle of nowhere, starts skating towards me. Me. Like me. He starts, the captain of the Vancouver Canucks skates towards me, and our eyes lock. Those Swedish eyes lock on mine. And it's an amazing moment. I see him kind of skating towards me, coasting at me, and I'm like, all right, it's on. Let's do this. Okay? And he comes to me. Flips a little puck up. I don't know how they do it so well. He flicks a little puck up on his stick, chucks it over the glass to me, right to me. Our eyes are locked. They didn't even break. I caught it in my hand. I was like, yes. <laughs> it was amazing. And we're having this moment, Daniel and I. I mean, I, you could call him and ask him. I'm sure he remembers. Uh, but Daniel and I have this moment there on the ice. It was, it was incredible for me. Uh, and I'm just like enjoying all of this. Me? Really? Me? I didn't know you cared so much. And he's looking at me. And I'm looking at him, and it's, I'm like, yeah. And he's like, 
because there's a little six-year-old standing next to me. And Johnny Butterfingers over here can't catch his own puck. And so Daniel throws me, a 32-year-old guy whose dreams are just dashed on the rocks, throws me the puck and wants me to give it to this little kid next to me. It was the worst moment of my life. I thought he saw me, but he didn't. He didn't. See, but that's how we think about God sometimes, isn't it? Like, we think God might see us, but then all of a sudden we're like, God, you couldn't possibly be looking at me, could you? You're obviously looking at the person next to me. You don't want to use me. Wow, you, you can't see me, God. You might see everyone else in this room. If you're watching online, you might see everyone else in my family, but you certainly don't look at me, do you? See, but Jesus sees what nobody else can see. God sees you. With all your imperfections, all the reasons you think he shouldn't see you, all the mistakes you've made, everything that's going on in your life, and I'm talking about the stuff that's below the surface, like the stuff when I look at you, I sure can't see what's going on in your life. Jesus does. I can't see the things you're hanging on to, but God can. I don't know all the different ways and all the different paths your life's taken and all the things that make you you, all the things you're afraid of, all the things you stay up worried about at night, all the things you're anxious for, all of your hurts, your regrets. I don't see any of that. No one does. But Jesus sees what no one else can see. He says, I want to talk about that. I just want to hit pause on everything in your life right now, and I want to focus on that. Jesus can see what nobody else can see. We see this in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there's a priest named Samuel, and God tells Samuel, hey, go to this guy Jesse's house because I'm going to show you who the next king of Israel is going to be. And so Samuel goes to Jesse's house, and he gets with Jesse, and he says, okay, this is how it's going to go. God's going to have a new king come. Get all your kids here. Check it out. Uh, and one of Jesse's sons, his oldest son named Eliab, which is a great name, Eliab comes up, the very first one, and Samuel is like, wow, this guy's amazing. He's huge. He's handsome. He's the best one ever. Thanks, God. This is a great sign. Eliab's going to be the king. Woo! Got it. But we see in 1 Samuel, God has another plan. He sees something no one else sees. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7 says, see, the Lord doesn't see things the way that you see them. God doesn't look at things the way you look at them. People judge by the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So everyone else in your life can only look so deep into you. You'll only allow people to look so deep in you, won't you? Like there's things going on that you aren't telling anybody about, that you don't want anybody knowing, that you've done a really good job covering up your whole life. And there's part of a society that really acts like that, right? And there's part of it that's kind of appropriate around other people. But God wants to look all past the distraction, all past the noise, and he wants to say, what's that one thing? that nobody else gets access to? What's that one thing that, man, if you give that to me, your life could totally change. Your life will totally be flipped upside down. Jesus sees past everything. He's intimately aware. He's intimately interested in the smallest thing in your life. The thing no one else gets access to, Jesus wants that. God sees what no one else can see. He sees you. He sees you. 
I think it's interesting here that Jesus, uh, in this whole story, he goes to the other side of the lake, and I just want to help you understand, like, just the magnitude of what Jesus is doing. When he goes over to the Decapolis, Jesus crosses the lake, and he gets there. First of all, this is 10 cities that don't know who Jesus is. They have no idea the dude is famous on the other side of the lake. They don't know all the things that he's doing. They don't know who God is. They don't know Yahweh. They don't know anything about this. They're doing their own life, and they're doing just fine. Jesus shows up to these guys who really don't want anything to do with him. There's no reason for Jesus to be over there. It's not his people. Jesus shows up in an area that's totally godless. And when he gets on the shore, he meets someone who's possessed by hundreds and thousands of demons. Like something no one should be messing with. Something everyone in this guy's own town wouldn't mess with. Something no one wanted to touch, no one wanted to be around. So not only is he in a place that doesn't know God, not only does he see someone who's filled with hundreds and thousands of demons, but we see that this demon-possessed guy lives in a cemetery, which is a pretty good place to live if you're demon-possessed. I got to give him that. That sounds like a good spot, right? But he's in a cemetery, which is a place that a Jewish person would not want to be hanging out because if he touched something that was dead, they'd be ritually unclean. Jesus shouldn't be there in the cemetery. He shouldn't be on the other side of the lake. He shouldn't be in front of a demon-possessed guy. Not only that, the demon-possessed guy, he might have some friends or whatever that are herding pigs on the countryside, and these pigs are something that Jesus shouldn't be around. 2,000 pigs, this is an unclean animal to the Jewish people. Jesus has no business being on that side of the lake that night. He's got no reason to be over there. But it shows us just how far Jesus is willing to go. See, Jesus will go where no one else will go. Jesus is willing to go to places that nobody else is willing to go for you. He's willing to meet you in the worst place in your life when everybody else would, would go away. Is there a spot in your life, have you ever had that spot in your life that's just like, that place is bad, like I don't want to go there. I'm not even talking like a, an emotional spot, like a physical spot. Is there a spot, like maybe you were a kid and it was the basement, I don't know what it was. But for me when I was little, it was my neighbor's backyard, the old lady on the other side of the garage, her backyard. This lady was Satan herself, like from the years 1986 to 89, Satan lived on Lafayette Avenue in Palmerton, Pennsylvania. That's where she lived, man. And every time my brothers and I would be playing baseball and a ball would go over the garage, all of us were like, oh, we're done. We're done. There was a black hole of tennis balls, wiffle balls, footballs, basketballs, marbles. It didn't matter what it was on the other side of this garage. You know what I'm talking about, a place that when the ball went over there and nobody going to get it. This little cute old 83-year-old like Doberman was on the other side there and would just freak out if you went anywhere near. So my brothers and I would go on the other side of the garage and we kind of like look through the bushes, right? And somehow with her little demon knowledge, she would know that there are kids over there lurking in her bush and she's like, I see you kids over there. Get off my lawn and all this kind of thing. It was a place that nobody wanted to go. Nobody wanted to be over there. And every now and then, one of us kids, maybe it was a neighborhood kid or my brother, it was never me, one of those kids would get brave enough to go and brave this lady's backyard. And I think there's kids who never came back. There's kids who are still over there. But it's just one of those places. Jesus is in a place like that, in a place that nobody goes. See, nobody in that guy's town is baking cookies for the demon-possessed dude in the cemetery and walking them to him that weekend. Everybody's staying away from him. 
Nobody wants anything to do with him. They all say, dude, live on the edge of town, in the tombs, do what you got to do, but don't get near us. But Jesus is willing to go where no one else will go. Jesus goes where no one else will go. There's nothing too extreme. There's nothing too evil. There's nothing too embarrassing. There's nothing too humiliating that you could be a part of or have been a part of that Jesus isn't right next to you in. There's nothing you could do. In fact, like some of us as people, we do have a line that like people shouldn't cross, right? Like you've got some friends and you know them by name. I don't want you to say it to your neighbor or any of that. But you know the friend and you've got this line that they just have a way of going a little bit too far or sharing a little bit too much or doing a little too much of something they shouldn't do. You know what I'm talking about? Like we have that line that we say, hey, I'm your friend, I'm your friend, I'm your friend. Whoa, you just said that. Uh, I'm not going to back you up. I'm not going to be with you in that. You go do your thing. All we know, all we have experience with are people who only go with us so far. You have know what that's like in your life. You've had experiences in your life where you'd look around you and you'd say, well, where did everybody go? Like you're my friend in this situation. You're with me in this. But if you really knew what was going on inside me, man, you'd run for the hills. You'd be getting out of here. See, but Jesus isn't like that. Jesus goes where no one else will go. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10, David, uh, the, the king of Israel then says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. See, we'll only let people in on so much in our lives. But there's not one place you could go, not one thing you could have done that Jesus isn't with you in, and he's got no intention of backing out anytime soon. He'll go where no one else can go. Will you let him? Will you let Jesus go into places in your heart that no one else will go? Will you let him have experiences that you've kept bottled up, you've kept under the surface for years? Will you give them over to him? He wants to go where no one else will go. So Jesus is face to face with this demon possessed guy and the guy's kind of freaking out. He's hulking out on him. The Bible tells us that the Jesus says to the spirits to come out and the guys freak out and they say, well, what are you talking about? Don't mess with me. Don't torture me. Jesus asks the guy's name and he says, our name's Legion because there's many of us inside this man. And if I was Jesus at this point, I'd be like, thanks. I'll see you later. I'm out of here. I'd take my miraculous powers and I'd paddle my butt back over to the other side quicker than anything and I'd be gone. But when this man says, I'm really messed up, I've got a lot going on inside, I've got things that are going to scare you, Jesus doesn't flinch. Jesus doesn't back off. He doesn't say, oh my goodness, did you hear what he said? Jesus looks at the man. And he goes where no one else is willing to go. Will you let Jesus do that in your life? Maybe for you, right now there's a physical issue you've got going on that you've lost hope a long time ago could ever be fixed, could ever be healed. You could ever get past. Maybe there's an emotional hurt going on in your life that like, you just learned how to deal with, you just learned to get along with, you just learned that, hey, you know what, I might not be ever free from this, but you know what? 
Jesus wants to go there. Jesus wants to go there. I don't know what it is for you, but I do know in your situation that Jesus wants to heal what no one else can heal. Jesus wants to heal what no one else can heal. Watch this. Jesus commands the demons to come out of the man, and when they do, it's the first time in years, the first time in a long time that this man has ever seen a change in his life. In an instant, Jesus heals what no one else has been able to heal. The guy says, our name's Legion. There's many of us in them. Jesus says, get out of the man. Go into those pigs. And just like that, the man set free. He's healed, completely healed in an instant. Something no one else could do. Something no one else would attempt to do. The demon's asked to go into a herd of pigs nearby. Jesus allows it, and instantly thousands of demons rush out of the man. He heals what no one else can heal. He does what no one else can do. In fact, I would say to you this. Jesus does what no one else has any business trying to do in your life. See, because you've tried to get over things yourself, haven't you? You've tried to face giants in your life. You've tried to kick things out of your life. You've tried to get better, but time and time and time again, you fail and you fail and you fail and you fail and you fail. You've got no business trying to defeat the things that come up against you. Do you know that? You've got no business. You are weaker than you think in these situations. But Jesus does what no one else can do. Jesus can heal what no one else can heal. It wouldn't have mattered how many times the townspeople tried to chain them up. It wouldn't matter how big the chain they used. These people were incapable of containing and healing what was really going on inside of this guy. Jesus can heal, though, what no one else can heal. Just a few verses after this story, I told you Jesus goes over to the side, meets a guy, goes right back and goes on with his life. When he gets back over to where his hometown is... We see him going over to heal a guy or heal a, a person's child who is sick. And on the way there, there's hundreds of people, I guess, around him. It says that the people are all on top of Jesus. He's walking through a crowd of people. They're all over him trying to get a glimpse of who he is, trying to be near him. There's people everywhere. The crowd's thick, and it says this in Mark chapter 5, 25. It says that there's a woman in the crowd who suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. This lady has some issues. She'd suffered a great deal from many doctors who tried to heal her. Over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, it only got worse. How many of you would say, I've tried to get things better, but it's only gotten worse? Anyone want to show? Yeah. Like, I've tried to make things better in my life, but it only gets worse. I've tried to trust other people, and it only got worse. I thought I was free from this, but it only got worse. She heard about Jesus so she came up from behind him through the crowd and she touched his robe because she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. See, for this woman, for the demon-possessed guy, the thing nobody else could heal, in an instant, Jesus heals completely and totally. He does what no one else can do. He can heal what nobody else can heal. What do you have in your life that you don't think Jesus could, could change? You don't think Jesus could change that. What's going on inside of you? What are you carrying around with you? What's right under the surface that you just don't think Jesus is ever going to heal? What are you coping with right now 
instead of being healed from. Jesus has a life of freedom for you. He wants to heal what no one else can heal. So Jesus sees this demon-possessed guy. He sees all of his needs. He risks life and limb to go across the lake to heal him. He changes this man's life, and then he doesn't go one step further. That's the end of the guy's story. He doesn't go one step further into town. He doesn't meet his folks. He doesn't go for dinner. He doesn't stay for a few days. He doesn't do any of that. He comes a few steps on shore, has this interaction, and goes right back home. No more healings. No more teaching. This area that's never heard of him before, get a glimpse of it, and that's it, and he goes right back home. Why didn't he go any further? If I was one of the disciples and I'm standing there and I see this whole thing happen, I'd be like, oh my goodness, that was amazing, Jesus. You need to go and keep doing this. Like, go further in. If this guy's any indication of what they got in this town, you got to have a field day, Jesus, because it's about to get wild. And we already almost died coming over here, so Jesus, you better do something else because I'm still a little upset about almost dying. But Jesus just gets back in his boat and he goes home. He doesn't do anything else over there. I don't know if Jesus wanted to stay over there. I don't know what his intention was. But we do see that as soon as the people hear what went on, they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, no more. Don't come any further. You're not invited. We don't want you here. You're not allowed in this place. You just mess things up. People come to Jesus. They see 2,000 dead pigs floating in the water. They see a demon-possessed guy healed, and they just say, whoa, Jesus, you just made a mess. You just made a mess of our whole lives. You did something we didn't ask you to do. You pressed in too far, Jesus. You did something no one asked you to do. We weren't ready to be changed like that. We weren't ready to see you for who you really were. We can't take it. It's overwhelming for these people, and they tell Jesus to leave. No access. But whether Jesus would have stayed or not, Jesus does this one last thing. And it's something he wants to do in your life. See, Jesus, he can see what no one else can see. He'll go where no one else will go. He can heal what no one else can heal. But this last one is that he wants to use what no one else thinks can be used. He wants to use things in your life that you don't think are usable. He wants to use that thing to bring him glory, to bring him honor, to reach other people for himself. He wants to use what no one else can use. I think it's interesting that the crowd's more afraid of Jesus than they ever were afraid of the man who was demon-possessed and cutting himself and freaking out in the cemetery. Something must have happened. Something that I, I just lose it when I read the story myself. I can't quite put myself in the story. But there must have been something that this townspeople saw that was so jarring, so invasive, so it, it called them out so much that they'd rather see Jesus go home than this demon-possessed guy. All they know about Jesus at this point is when Jesus shows up, he makes a mess. When Jesus shows up, he gets all in my business and things don't go right and he kind of challenges things and he changes things and he gets in and he just makes a whole mess of everything. Of course they don't want Jesus to stick around. Things get worse for this town when Jesus showed up. Do you see that? Their whole industry got, like, jacked up when those pigs died. They were all okay coping with the demon-possessed guy. They didn't care if he was free or not. They were living their lives just fine, and then Jesus had to show up, didn't he? 
what Jesus knew that these people didn't is that now instead of carrying demons, this man was carrying the gospel. Like when Jesus healed this guy in an instant, instead of demons, this man is carrying the name of Jesus now. Instead of being someone who's marked by all this trouble, all this pain, all this danger, just an ugly guy to be around, Jesus knew he didn't have to go any further into this area because he had that guy. Because Jesus wanted to use the one person that nobody else would use. The one person everybody counted out. The one person who, who everyone had spent their whole life avoiding, trying not to be around. Jesus didn't need to go any further. He could get back in the boat and go home because he knew if I have this guy, everyone else is going to know about me. If I could work in his life and people just see it, people are going to be amazed and they're going to call on me. Jesus doesn't need to go any further. He doesn't need to go any deeper into their lives. He did through this man, the one no one else could use, is now the one that Jesus uses to spread the gospel throughout that whole area. Do you think you're unusable? You think you're counted out? Do you think you're unqualified? The truth is you probably are. You think you're not good enough? You think you don't have what it takes to reach people for Jesus? You don't. But Jesus does. You think you're not good enough? Well, you're not, but Jesus is. And when you accept Jesus into your heart, when you accept him into your life, all the things that you think disqualify you are now things that Jesus says, I want to flip that on its lid, and I want to make them qualifiers for you. When people see what I can do in your life, they'll have no resistance, they'll have no choice but to be confronted with me. Jesus wants to use the thing you don't think is usable. See, there's plenty of people in your family who will never invite Jesus over for a picnic. They'll never invite Jesus over for dinner, but they will invite you. They just don't know that you carry him inside of you. There's people at your work who do not want Jesus' name popping up. You know it. You know who they are. They don't want Jesus' name popping up. They don't want to know anything about Jesus, but they do want to know you. They will accept you. So I think we oftentimes think, you know, God, like, why aren't you reaching this person? Why aren't you reaching my kid? Why aren't you reaching my spouse? God, why do I go to work and it just seems like no one's interested in you? Why don't you just show up in an instant and just do something here? God, why are the Maritimes the way they are? When are you going to show up? When are you going to just make a difference in this whole place? And I feel, I feel like there's a lot of times we just think that God can't actually want to use us. God can't use us. See, God has a way of reaching people, ordinary, flawed, messed up, to reach the world. Paul reminds us of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that very few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful. Very few of you were wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. You've got problems, that's exactly the person God wants to use. You're not wise in the world's eyes, that's exactly the person God wants to use. And while he chooses these things, he chooses these things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. See, if Jesus can take a man who literally minutes before is possessed by thousands of demons, 
and minutes after he's healed, gives him a stamp of approval, says, okay, you're the guy. You're the guy who's going to go and change this whole area. You're the guy who's going to make a difference in all of these cities. If Jesus can say that to him, then what are you waiting for? Why can't he do it in you? Why won't you let him do it? The more I read the story, the more I'm convinced that Jesus already did what he needed to do to reach my kids. He reached me. Jesus already did what he needed to do to reach your spouse or to reach your family. He reached you, right? He already did what he needed to do to change your workplace. He reached you. He already did what he needed to do to change the Maritimes. He reached us as a church. He's got a hold of us. He wants to use the things that no one else will use to bring him glory. And I can't help but wonder if he's waiting for you and me, the people that we think are most unusable sometimes the things that we've got that no one else knows about, the things that we keep a good job hiding from other people, I just have to imagine that Jesus wants to use those very things to draw hundreds and thousands of people to know him. So my prayer is that you would know a God who would risk everything to get to you, that he sees you right now where you're at. He's there with you in the middle of everything. He wants to heal you and he wants to use you. Can I pray for you? Heavenly Father, we just ask right now that the same Jesus who showed up in this person's life would show up in ours. And God, I just even want to say right now that, God, I just ask your forgiveness for times when, God, we just don't think you're there, where we don't think you want to use us, where we don't think you can see us, where we do a good job thinking you're just like everybody else, God. But God, as we sung before, there's nothing but the blood of Jesus that qualifies us. When you look at us, things change. When you touch us, things are healed. When you do something in our lives, things matter. We become important. We get sent on mission. We could change our world. So God, for the one who feels unusable today, would they see that they're the most usable person in the room? That you've got a big plan for them. That you've got hope and a future for them and you're just dying to use them. So God, would we go full into everything you have for us this week? full into our families, our workplaces, our areas, God, with the gospel inside of us and say, God, whatever you want to use in our lives, we give you permission. God, heal what only you can heal and do what only you can do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the message today. If you want to stay up to date, go ahead and click subscribe to follow us on YouTube. And hey, if you want to partner with us in getting these messages farther, you can go to our website and find out ways that you can give and help us get the good news of Jesus further than ever before.